Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 185 of the Dance Speak podcast with Sora Yang. Let's see if I can nail this intro in a first try. Let's find out. Found out, found out, find out. Okay, there we go, already failed. Sora Yang is a choreographer, educator, movement coach, and entrepreneur who was born and raised in the Bay Area and received her bachelor in science, BS, Oh man, okay, I'm still failing. Her BS in business or business administration from USC. Her work has led to digital creative partnerships with brands like Hyundai, Adobe, Canva, Cliff Bar. And she also is known for choreographing award-winning dance companies such as GRV. And like, if you just look at Sora's dancing, you'll get it. So if you are someone who might not be completely familiar, although you probably are, and it's probably why you're listening to the episode, like check her out. She's one of the sickest dancers and choreographers I have ever seen. And I do not say that lightly. Okay, so... If you are not already following us on Instagram and TikTok, follow us at Dance Speak Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And a quick announcement, we are going to be transitioning into one episode per month, so every four weeks, because we have such a large library and we want you to listen, like listen to what's there. And you, if you've listened to every episode, then we can talk. But um, until then... That's something to know. And you can follow me at Gogalit, G-O-G-A-L-I-T. Check out my offerings at gogalit.com, G-O-G-A-L-I-T. In particular, my on-demand fitness programs that you can do from anywhere. All right, did I nail it, y'all? I think I failed upwards, but I'm going to keep this intro because it's real. And now for the episode. Hey, guys, my name is Galit Friedlander. I've worn many hats in the dance world over the last 15 plus years and have created Dance Speak as a platform for people in the dance industry to share their stories and blueprints for success. So listen up and get ready to be inspired, learn something new, and get personal with the people behind the movements you love. Oh my god, I'm really excited about this. I just listened to your TED talk. (laughs) And we have some things in common. Mm -hmm. So... I'm first-generation American. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents immigrated here. They immigrated from Argentina and Israel. We both went to USC. Yes. You graduated in... Um, Technically, I finished a little early. So I finished in December 2012, but I walked 2013. That's awesome. I graduated in 2010, so maybe we had a crossover of a year. Yes, I started in... 2009 was my first semester so yeah yeah that's awesome. one year were you in any of the dance crews c3 oh my gosh yeah so what about you yeah i started one called outrage okay and i was absolutely no disrespect to anything yeah like, no i no. love all the crews no i'm not attached okay perfect. <laughs> so i was coming i was coming hot out of new york yeah and i was i didn't see what i wanted in terms of like i was used to like hip-hop house whacking voguing right. you know not over sexifying certain things like just you know and I, I didn't quite i didn't quite see it it was a very different scene so my junior year right before you came i created a crew called outrage cool. and I must have been so intense because I I guess I learned how to I was learning how to lead still yeah so it was like I still have stuff from it but I remember 
I was coming from the, like the, we're going to push through, like we're going to rehearse late if we have to rehearse late. It wasn't a total tyranny. It wasn't five days a week. But I remember I was like, I learned, you know, I'm going to do a survey monkey. So I get reviewed at the end. So I learned how to grow. And I remember at least one person was so over it and was just like, you suck. Oh. But I was really proud of the work overall. (laughs) When I look back, I feel like, and this was, I'll remember the harshest stuff. And it was, I think overall, it was like a cool experience. But I remember the the generation I was trained by was like, you get water when we tell you to get water. A hundred percent. Yeah, like. No, I'm this, I, I think we're in that similar yeah. era of having like really tough teachers. And I liked it, mm-hmm. but it's not for everyone. It wouldn't fly. A lot of the stuff, I feel like the culture that, maybe we came up in when it comes to discipline and like instilling that toughness would not fly today. What are some examples that you remember from your generation of like, this was different, this was a bit tougher? Oh gosh. Well, cause I grew up in sports. Whoa. Yeah, so. Good <clears throat> sports. And I played basketball growing up. Oh, awesome. That was my, what I was known as. That was my AOL, like AIM screen name. AIM. Lil Asian B-ball player, 32. I was G-Wiz 01. Amazing. Okay. G-Wiz. <laughs> my brother was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he gave me the name. Yeah. Yeah, G-Wiz cute. 01. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember distinctly specific things that were said to me, but I just remember the intensity of growing up in that culture mm-hmm. of sports in like the early 2000s probably is when I started or and then when I joined even when I was in college which wasn't that long ago <laughs> when I joined GRV which is a competitive team in the SoCal dance community we would rehearse until like 2 to 3 a.m regularly like it was nothing I never had that not even in preparation for competition necessarily that's just when the time to end rehearsal was, but when we were preparing for competitions, they were called hell weeks. And so it was two weeks, the two weeks prior to a competition date, we would rehearse five days a week until three or four, sometimes a.m. in the morning. Um, Starting on on some days it was like 6 p.m. and on other days it was starting at 8 p.m. But I commuted from an hour away and I was also a full-time student at USC with a job. So I did not sleep in college at all. Um, But you know, time management skills, it's what I developed. Oh my goodness. It was wild. But yeah, stuff like that, I feel like now we're much more mindful, which is a positive thing. It's we're mindful of boundaries and res- a little bit more on like the res- respecting people's time and safety and like all these issues that weren't as emphasized. But you said you you missed the time like the I'm not going to take it out of context like right. the toughness of it was it fun for you or Oh, I mean it was character building and <laughs> bonding and I I don't know if I miss those times specifically because they were so intense, but I love working hard. So I don't think I've ever, I'm not one to ever complain about if I, if I really want to be a part of something or if I'm really working towards a goal, I'm not going to be the one to complain about the toughness it requires to get to where you want to be. So I don't, yeah, Mm. I don't, I don't have like bad feelings towards it. Would I do it again at this age? Hell no. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm glad I did it while I was young and I had energy because it really did teach me like kind of the maximum of what I'm capable of. And now I sleep a lot. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Well, it's interesting hearing that because I remember in college, I go back to junior year. I had 
the dance crew I was choreographing and dancing in. I was working as a tutor on campus. I had full course load, not as a like, comparison. Maybe I had a couple other things going. I was an RA, mm. and I was an RA in the one place. It was a chill job, and every other part of campus except for mine, they were really tough on us. And I remember just having nervous breakdowns. So to hear that, I like, I don't know that I was, I was like getting by in school and never had bad grades, but to hear that, that's amazing. Were you, did you feel emotionally intact? Did I? <laughs> Let me think. Like, were you did crying on the time? bathroom floor at 11 p.m.? <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I had time or energy. Oh my God. Because it was really tight. Like, Dang. I would, my, my typical day in college was wake up at 7 or 8. I worked at an events office at the law school. So I was an events assistant there. Um, wake up, take a shift go to class, go back to work, go to class, go back to work, go back, go to, you know, it was like classwork, classwork all day until maybe about 5 p.m., have about an hour, if that, to eat dinner, and then I would have to commute an hour and a half-ish in traffic to rehearsal, and then that would last until like 3 in the morning, get home at 4, sleep by 5, and then 3 hours, wake up and do it all over again. So I, my planner was scheduled so meticulously, color-coded, it was so, it was literally like 8 to 8, 10, brush your teeth and get ready. 8, 10 to 8, 20, walk to work. It, it was, it had to be so bulleted so that I could prove to myself that everything I was trying to fit in was possible. And then I pretty much followed that. So was I okay? I think emotionally in college, I was fine. Uh, physically, I was really sick all the mm-hmm. time because I wasn't sleeping and I was yeah. just putting my body through a lot. So I remember being sick a lot but still pushing through that as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah, don't think I would do that. I would not do that today. Um, But I was okay. I've been like that my whole life though. Like even in high school, I was kind of a workaholic, a study-holic, like stick. As a 15-year-old drinking two venti Americanos from Starbucks every day, like just so intense for Lord knows what reason. Staying up and super late, studying, wake, and then in high school, you wake up even earlier to get to school. So I've, I think I've, I had that wired in me already, that kind of, I don't even know what to call it, just approach. Work ethic. Work ethic, yeah. I was the messy version of that. Mm. So I was not organized. I have worked really hard in the last decade, so now my planner looks like, I go between it's down to the 10 minutes and just leaving more white space in the calendar for flow. I sometimes, my friends get on me because I get, I can be a little bit anal about time. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I wish you would have told me that you were going to be 15 minutes late because I could da-da-da-da-da. But I remember in high school, I did a lot and I was not organized about it. Mm -hmm. And I maybe owned a planner that I never used. So Mm -hmm. that's just incredible. You were like that. Do you feel like it's, when it comes to nature versus nurture, Mm. do you, like, what are your thoughts on that with the way of being? Ooh, I don't know the answer to that, sure. uh, to be honest, because there are some qualities in me that I don't know where they came from. But then I think nurture has a lot to do with it. I'm a middle child, mm-hmm. so I've always felt like I, I kind of grew up feeling like I always had a lot to prove or I always felt uh unnoticed or like underrecognized, unappreciated. Uh, it just even in my family sphere, which made me feel like I had to do a lot to show like to, to just like get noticed and be appreciated and be seen, I think is more, more than anything to feel seen. So I think that pushed my motivation and my drive and my work ethic to do a lot. 
um, from an early age, which you you've heard my life story because you listened to my TED talk. <laughs> I had to work for my own money from a really yeah. early age, pretty much since I was since I needed money. Like yeah, when you're socializing for the first time with friends in middle school and they want to go to the movies, like things like that. Like my parents would never just hand me money. They wanted to teach me how to earn money, even as a 13 year old, which I appreciate so much now because it's, yeah. it made me who I am now. And in, in terms of, so yeah, I, it's like, even when I was 13, pretty much doing exactly what I'm doing today is I had to find a way to make money. So I would first relied on the network I had, which was my mom's friends. Mm-hmm. One owned a beauty salon and the other owned a daycare. So I asked for a job at both. Um, and I even for sometimes like if it was too far, my mom would drive me. But if it was close enough, my mom would make me take my Razor scooter and scoot myself there. Um, and one of the commutes was like a 20 minute scooter ride. She was like, you can do it yourself. She was very trusting of me being independent and autonomous even at a young age yeah um that was yeah by the way i hope you don't mind the comparison no not at, not at all that's how i grew up in new york city yeah. and it wasn't even like I, I couldn't wait to be independent right but sometimes i look back but i, w- I was babysitting since i was 12 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we just had like both my parents worked full-time so i just had to get myself from point a to point b yep. but but where your friends was it not the case with them and you felt like a little bit That wasn't... Because we were in... I mean, my family moved around a lot in the Bay um, because we were always renting. Mm -hmm. And so... What part of the Bay? East, All over the East Bay. Awesome. Like a million... Oakland, Alameda, San Leandro, Fremont was my, like, childhood... I love people from the Bay. Yeah. They are just the dopest. (laughs) Thank you. So when we finally planted in Fremont for a while, which is where I spent high school, we were renting, but we wound up in a district that's like pretty affluent. Um, But my family was not. Like we were renting um, a two, it was a two story house, but it was like kind of unique. On the outside, it looks like a normal house, but it was like cut in half. Mm -hmm. And so my family lived downstairs. A lot of people in my school were like came from money, lived in these giant houses, like had everything kind of handed to them if they wanted, you know, whatever they wanted. So I was not surrounded by that feels. different. Yeah, it felt it felt very different because I was almost like ashamed or not almost. I was I felt very ashamed of just not having. Yeah, that coming from that wealth, not ha- like these high school girls. It's just peak high school, high school girls carrying around like um, what was in like Louis per- and Coach. Coach was really in <laughs> when I was in high school. Those purses. And um, I remember loving the brands like Hollister <laughs> because they represented wealth and yeah. affluence to me. And so like I remember saving up a lot of money just to buy like a, a polo that had that little logo on it just because I was like, wow, this means I can fit in a little bit. So yeah, no, to answer your question, long story short, no, I was not surrounded by people that that makes it very, very different. That explains in the way you talk about it. I had um, I was somewhere in middle class mm-hmm. and I forgot what made me aware of it, but I went to public school mm-hmm. and so there was there was a point it was like it I had to work for my own stuff but there was also a lot of my friends and people I knew they'd be like damn you have water that's immediately hot and like what I like what I grew up with was more than they did so mm-hmm. I felt this weird like I have to work really hard you know poor me I have to work hard but also I realized that I'm not in the like a lot of my friends would bond over it, you know, right. kind of in their scenarios. And I was like, OK, I'm not quite <laughs> I'm not that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, so 
But I think that the public school scene made it, it made it more comfortable, but also a lot of us, we would work hard to buy like sneakers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I remember there was somebody I went to high school with. I know she wasn't the only one. She lost, she was in a single parent household. Her mom passed in high school and she was working after school every day, living in foster care or a group home. And it was like, I just remember she never complained. It was mm-hmm. nothing. So mm-hmm. it's just so sad. It's so messed up that, you know, anyone's made to feel less than because they have to work. And right. I feel like it's, that's always, um, I always appreciate it. I feel like it's worked in my favor that I don't have a choice really to not work. Right, right. Because I have friends who, nothing against it. It's fine to get help. There are points where I've gotten help. But I've seen friends who always have a cushion and never quite launch. Yeah, I think for me, I just... It comes from a place now of deep appreciation because the career I've chosen requires a degree of hustle or just not even a degree. It, it is this career is a hustle, at least the way that I've pursued it and what my my career portfolio looks like. And I wouldn't be successful today if I didn't learn how to work and hustle yeah. since I was a kid. So I, I don't look back and I don't feel sad. Yeah, you know, I still had like a great childhood. My parents did an amazing job with what they had. So I don't look back and feel like a lack or a deprivation or woe is me at all. I just feel like gratitude because it's like the only way I would have been able to survive this industry and the way that I have is because of what was what I had to develop growing up because of how I grew up. So I just, yeah, I just appreciate it. I That's think. amazing. And then... Now, fast forwarding, what is your, I know it varies, but what's your schedule like, particularly when you're balancing out, I don't know if this happens, work that you already have on your plate, like you're on a job, you're teaching, but you're probably submitting for other work or Mm -hmm. how do you balance that out? Yeah, um, that is very accurate. It's like always a combination of work that comes in and then work that I create. That's pretty much like it's the, what I'm navigating yeah, right now. Two. Yeah. Do you mind repeating the question? Yeah, I don't even know if I put it as a question. Um, what my schedule is like. What is your thank you? Okay. Um. <laughs> how do you make them both happen? What I navigate, which doesn't, I don't know if, I probably get woe is me so much quicker to where you don't, but I sometimes I'm like, I don't want to burn out. I feel like I've burned out so many mm. times. I need to bring in new work, but I'm also having other work I'm very grateful for. How do I balance it out make it all happen? Ooh, yeah. And I guess that paired with what's your schedule like. Okay, I might have to come back to the second part because yes. my memory is failing me this morning. Clearly but- mine is <laughs> always failing me. But, but um, you know, it's it's wild. I think about this all the time, how, how wild it is that I wake up and I'm like, so what? What's the plan today? Like, I, there's really, like, I am my boss and that is... It's always going to blow my mind. Um, but that's essentially it. So obviously, like, I have a work calendar. And so the things that come in that I that I commit to and I want to do, like, I in- input those, right? Then I look at all of the space around it where I don't have things that are coming in externally. And I think, what can I do with my time here? Whether it's, do I want to spend this period investing in, like, a creative project? Do I want to spend this period training? Do I want to spend... Do I need this little chunk of time to rest? Mm -hmm. Um, Or do I want to spend these three weeks generating income? And if it's the last one, then I start brainstorming about, like, well, what do I feel most connected to right now? Like, what excites me the most right now? Okay, I've dabbled in, like, a lot of different... Teaching is my main thing. And so I've dabbled in a lot of 
programming of like sometimes it's an all women's program sometimes it's a training group with a consistent group of people for more of an extended period of time like a few months sometimes it's a small group sometimes it's business related sometimes it's choreography development sometimes it's dance movement training so I I just always look at okay what do I feel what resonates with me in this month right now right like in this moment okay let me create that so that whatever I do I feel very excited about and I can do like wholeheartedly and then I just kind of build my schedule from there I feel like like we are architects of our schedule you know so because I like it actually it, yeah I never thought I'd like scheduling it brings me it sparks joy <laughs> yeah it's it does it really does mm-hmm. and it's it's such a privilege too like it's so such not everyone can just wake up and say like what do I want my work month to look like um, because sometimes you just have to go to the job that you have. I think what people don't always realize is when you pursue a career as a creative, of course the work that you do is creative, but generating the work is also a creative process itself. Yeah, Yeah. and I want to pinpoint something in there. So are you looking at when you're you're creating something, what I'm hearing is that you look at it as a as a bigger length of time, more macro, three mm-hmm. weeks, four weeks. Right. I'm usually thinking of things, and I'm not saying it's been successful, as, oh, I have two hours today and one hour next week. I'm doing a potpourri of different things, and I want to try different things. So for you, are you just going kind of tunnel vision in a good way towards one thing versus the potpourri? I'm always doing kind of a different combination of multiple things, mm-hmm. but in terms of scheduling, it helps me the most to look a little bit more zoomed out so that I don't freak out. So that I know, because like in terms of budgeting and like how much money I'm bringing in each month, like I have to know at least for the next month, at the very least, if not the next two, three months, what's happening for me work-wise. And because I am generating a lot of my own income, that takes planning. So it's like if I want to launch a program, say in March, it's end of January. I have to start thinking about that now. I can't come March and all of a sudden, because it takes time to develop it, to promote it, to take in applications or whatever that registration process is, to book space, like to, to basically like plan your own event, plan your own whatever it may be. So all of these things take time. So I'm a very like one to three month girl. That's great. Yeah. And for your programs, do you find, I mean, you've made it, you've, you've created so much in teaching. So I hope this question doesn't Um, discount that at all are you ever afraid that the program won't fill out or you already know you have a community that's like down no matter what or how about that no that's a completely valid question I think there's always a little bit of a concern because it is tied it is tied to my income obviously so I'm like this is what I'm doing for work like I want this to be successful like there's always trial and error Mm -hmm. right because I'm always like changing what I do because I get bored doing the same thing every time so for example I created a course called the artful balance of business and dance yeah I would have signed up if I knew it existed (laughs) yeah so uh I but every iteration was different like Mm. I I did initial one and then I did like an all-women's one and then I did one that was focused more on choreography and like movement development and then I tried one that would that I'll say failed but you know, it's not that deep. That was like an express version. Mm -hmm. So it was, okay, let me try to serve a community that doesn't have time to sit down two times a week for three hours each lecture and do like an expedited version of the course. I think that's a great idea. Thank you. You know, because people were like um, kind of asking for it. So I was like, okay, let me try it out. Not enough people signed up to make it kind of worth Mm -hmm. my time. Only a few people registered. And so I pulled it. 
and it was okay. Like I, of course it's like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And every time you put something in the world and crickets respond, like, of course, like naturally, like our human egos are going to feel a little bit like, oh, okay. Of course. <laughs> but, but then you move on. Like, it's not that big of a deal. People know. are busy. And also maybe that format just wasn't that, that just taught me like, oh, okay. People who want to take the course want to take the full experience. They don't want a spark spark notes version of it so I tried to present it it wasn't received and I just took notes and I adapted and moved on and I kept going thank you for sharing that because I feel like that's a great teacher also and like I'm learning from what you're sharing so thank Thank you thank you yeah and there's been sometimes like I'll teach all book space there was a specific class last year where I book space at west coast and I canceled the rental because the rental is not cheap there and I had like under 10 students I have no problem teaching under a a class with under 10 students but it was just not even meeting the rental cost and my energy at that time was just I don't feel like doing this right now I don't feel like spending money to teach right now like maybe in another period where I if I felt like my cup was very full and I felt like I had abundant energy and time I would have just followed through and had an amazing class for those seven people but for me it wasn't it was just like "Mm, yeah I'm just gonna decide not to do this I will say from the outside, like a lot of my, a lot of times my classes are packed, like my programs are full, but there are still times, quieter times that people don't always see where I'm trying different things out. Like I'm trying to create spaces and, and the response isn't as big. And I think it's okay because you just learn from those experiences, what worked, you learn about your audience and like in a business term sense, like your market and like what appeals to them, what timing is good. Like all of these are helpful metrics that if you use to dishearten and discourage and define you, like you'll, you'll stop. But if you just kind of don't take it so personally, then you can learn from it and just keep going. Like, absolutely. And I feel like this happens probably quite often, but of course no one, like I wouldn't share, let's say on social media, Hey y'all, this program didn't fill up. Like it's not the thing that we advertise, but it's the thing we learn from. And I'm always curious with teachers because I teach as well. I'm very passionate about it and it can feel a little bit like I'm an island Mm -hmm. often. And I always wonder like, it actually, I always assume no one else has ever gone through the failure that I'm, I'm experiencing, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it's important to hear it. And then you're really talking to me with the metrics because I'm starting to learn. I thought marketing was one thing and it's not, I basically Mm. confuse social media content with marketing Mm. and I'm starting to learn little tidbits about marketing. And the thing is to look at what's working, what's not working right now. I have a friend who she knows what she's doing and she gave me the homework of go through a hundred posts, break down ratio, um, this is not PC, but male to female, Mm -hmm. relative age, how many of them are your friends? Mm, Like how many of the people that are happy to support but are never going to sign up for something that you're doing, so. Yeah. Yeah, and she said, you're gonna love marketing because I find it's the creative part of business. Mm. So this is, and the reason why I'm doing this also is because I hired, I tried hiring two different people to help um, promote a program and one I love, I adore, but like basically flaked Mm. and the other one I really didn't get results from. And so I thought it would be so easy to hire someone and outsource this and I'm finding it's not. And so I guess I got to learn. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I think that (laughs) social media metrics, social media marketing specifically, like that's a that's a beast in itself. And it's interesting because I do, like I come from a marketing background, yeah. that's what I studied in college, but I don't take 
I actually don't take like social media metrics. I don't really look at that. I don't take them as like that seriously because I'm not in a, I guess I just haven't had to, Yeah. but I know how helpful that they can be. They can be for some people in just understanding like what's working and what's not. I always find it ironic that I teach this course on business and dance, but I don't really, I'm not really on top of even that ABBD course on Instagram that accounts Instagram because there are different versions of marketing, right? There's social media marketing, digital marketing, and then there's the tried and true old school word of mouth, which is what Mm -hmm. I feel like I really, really rely on for my programs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as soon as I recognized, oh, if if this if I genuinely give these students a good experience and hopefully change their lives in some way and provide that value for them, they will be my marketing in terms of spreading the message of how effective this is or how good of an experience this is. So as even that is a learning experience, like what marketing do I need to rely on to get this out there? Oh, okay, student experiences. And so yeah. when I realized that word of mouth was going to be the strongest way of continuing this program and getting the word out, I was able to like not stress so much about the social media side and have to hire like a designer to make all these it's such an exhausting thing like it's a it's a whole career you know it's a whole job but yeah it is important to like marketing you're like you said it's not just one thing it's so many different things and there's so many different ways to build your community and find your people and it's really I, I love what you're saying. I'm super geeking out about this. I almost feel like every other Dance Week episode is now about building your own business, but that's essentially what you're doing, whether you're a dancer, choreographer, dance teacher, if you're an actor, all of it. Even if you're working for a company, if you want to expand and potentially go somewhere else, we are all our own business. Mm-hmm. And all of my like all of my work is actually through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I feel like with social media, it's... It helps with if someone hears about me, checks it out, they can see what I'm up to. And I do feel like it's an experiment right now. I'm putting a lot of time into it. I spend like, I'll spend an hour and a half on a post that'll get like two views, but I feel like I'm building a skill and I'm okay. I'm, I'm not attached to the outcome from it. Right. Something about it feels like I'm meant to be learning what I'm learning right now. But what you're saying is kind of answering a question that I also want to ask about how much to invest, although it's different for each person, in social media. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Right now, I'm getting a bunch of marketing in my feed around stop focusing on building your social media. It's not going to do anything for you. I, I don't know what they're selling. Maybe they're selling a social media course, but... Right. I... And this is this is just my outlook and sure. philosophy, so it's not right or wrong or one way, because different things work for different people. I concur. So some people have been highly successful really pursuing the social media game, and other people have been highly successful not really caring. And, and I think some people, they get really successful, but it, they think they have the formula, but I don't know that there's one formula. It's what worked for them. Yeah, and so my outlook when it comes to social media is that it's not about the social media. It's about the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I use, I do use social, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Like I share, I'm sharing what I'm doing. Like I obviously use it to promote the things I have going on, especially if I'm trying to bring in students to classes and things like that. Um, But I don't stress about strategy when it comes to social media because I'm very occupied on the work. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of just like, I think the biggest thing I took away from my marketing concentration in business was if you have a good product like if you have a really really great product the marketing takes care of itself so that really stuck with me and I brought that in 
haven't read Purple okay, Cow, but sorry. isn't that that, it's the By similar Seth Godin, philosophy, it's that. right? Sorry. Yeah. No, no, yeah. you're fine. Um, <laughs> so same thing, it's like when I started my career, it's like, because I have a business background, people assume like I'm going to be like so strategic and I'm really not. Like if I want to post at 11 p.m., like I'm going to, I really don't care. But what I do care about is the work that I'm doing out offline, making sure that that is infused with as much intention and value and work and diligence as possible so that when I, I, like for me, social media is just about sharing that. And then I think people can feel the, I hope people can feel like the authenticity of what that is as opposed to feeling like I'm constantly like selling them me, you know, like this is my brand and like, like buy and consume me. Like, I don't feel like I have that relationship. You don't, Um, I will, I'll say for me, just, I I've heard your name for years. I've heard amazing things about you. And I feel like we were probably in different spaces in the dance world. You would pop up on my social media feed and I would just think, damn, she can dance. Oh, thank you. And I'm a little bit of an asshole sometimes in terms of like, I'm secretly very opinionated. There's yeah. a lot of things. I was spoiled by seeing a lot of incredible dancing growing up. So I'm, I was just like, damn, she can dance. It's not some hype. Like she can dance her ass off. That is hard work and, and hot sauce. And my association with you, and I have no reason really to go in one direction or the other is... This is a passionate teacher and she can dance her ass off. So thank you. That's like really, that felt very validating (laughs) for me. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. And so also you were on my mind with the podcast, the combination of hearing uh, Maria Lankinen. She's a yoga teacher who loves you and brought up your name. I forget in different contexts in a very positive way. I want you to know this. Oh my gosh. And I so your name was planted that way and then years later I see you on social media and so it kind of yeah yeah wow yeah I feel very touched (laughs) good yeah like you have no idea I guess like you just never know who is watching is watching so it's just (laughs) yeah and then then you've been on the dream list for the podcast oh thanks you've been yeah absolutely so I totally interrupted your thought I'm working on no you're fine sometimes with the podcast I say nothing for like an hour and so I'm working on it's been I've been doing this for almost seven years and I'm working on owning the conversational nature yeah we're just being transparent yeah absolutely were there some main takeaways from your degree in business and marketing? You kind of touched on it already. Or I know my background is in communication. Uh-huh. That's what I majored in. And there may be a couple of concepts that are great. And maybe it infused something else. But it, yeah, I'm curious. Mm. I wondered if I had gone to Marshall School of Business, would I have, yeah. <laughs> you know, n- college was a lot of math. I hate mm. math. I'm not a math brain. My business degree was full of math courses. Like statistics? Stats, finance. um, Econ felt kind of conceptually mathy. Yeah, just all of those courses felt very mathy. And I was like, I'm not interested. Accounting, I had to take. It's like, I'm not interested in any of this. Like, I'm just going to be the boss. This was me, like, you know, as a 20, 20 year old. I was like, I'm just going to be a boss and like hire people to do this for me because I don't like to do math. Like, why do I, I want to be the leader. Um, What did I gain from, with my business background? Honestly, School taught me a lot of things that, college specifically taught me a lot of things that have nothing to do with what I studied. Ditto. Yeah, it's kind of like working with different people. Yep. Meeting a lot of people from different backgrounds, like being forced into these horrendous group projects and like (laughs) learning to work with different people. I think um, that was 
invaluable. And I was a, I studied abroad in college, so Where that go? to Korea. <gasps> nice. Yeah. So so even just like those experiences that college brought me, and just growing up as a human away from home, and Ditto. Lear- <laughs> also like experiencing growing up, like kind of transitioning into my adulthood not in a dance space I really appreciate yeah just because like you meet people who are studying all different kinds of things like interested in all different kinds of things come from such unique backgrounds have unique interests and I think that is really it's nice to go into the dance world already having like a really wide perspective because sometimes I feel like with dancers who are surrounded just by dance dance is the whole world but I've always seen dance as a tiny tiny seg- it's a it's a big important part but it's a, it's also like at the same time a microcosm right it's we're yeah. tiny and the world is so vast and there's so much more to life my master plan was to go to school with the people who might hire me one day mm, smart. and because I want I, I had listened to conversations of dancers growing up that were professional and it seemed like a lot of dancers were um, disempowered in some respect when it came to the people who hired them so that was I didn't know if I was going to pursue dance professionally right. ultimately decided to after college but yeah that was the master plan and in your TED talk something that spoke to me was I don't believe and it doesn't sound like you know you were like this is my perspective right so I'm all work hard make the most out of life there's a million ways to get where you're going but I also grew growing up in my household I don't feel like my parents put pressure on me but I just knew I was going to go to college yeah like it wasn't going to not happen and I don't I do feel like it's tied in a little bit with the if I may like first generation experience yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely. It same, was, same. It wasn't like I didn't even know a, a choice was available. Like you got to go, or and I was excited yeah, like, to go. Yeah. And my mom came to the U.S. on a boat when she was sixteen mm-hmm. because she was going to go to Juilliard. She had decided. She, it's funny to listen to her story. She's not. She's very humble about it, but she was going to go to Juilliard. Like, you can't get in at that point. So she stayed with family. She didn't speak the language. So to be in the same country also where there's a bunch of options and just have school right there Mm -hmm. was amazing. Like, I was appreciative for that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. You know, I appreciate, like, the things I gained from school. But to really answer your question Mm -hmm. about, um, I think it's the work ethic that, I gained like how to talk to people how to talk to people how to communicate with different people and um working you know through that crazy schedule I told you about that made me feel the most prepared now when it comes to actually having a career in dance learning entrepreneurship I feel like a sliver of it is innate in Mm. terms of sense right there's like business sense like I feel like part of it was kind of nature or maybe it was young nurturing that it feels like nature now um And then so much of it is learned. Like, you just have to learn it. So, like, to anyone listening who doesn't have a college degree or a business school background, like, it's, you don't need it to be successful in business at all. You just need some sense. (laughs) And um, to, to have the, take the initiative to educate yourself. Like, nowadays, there's kind of no excuse to not learn about the things you want to learn about because there's so many free resources via Google, YouTube, yeah, podcast podcast just like I listen to I, entrepreneurial I, business podcasts all the time so you can learn and you learn by reading books like you learn by googling things youtubing things there's so much in business school that didn't prepare me 
adulthood and owning a business and running a career like I didn't know anything about taxes like I had to learn all of that nobody on my own teaches you nobody teaches taxes. you taxes nobody teaches you really about like what it means to invest your money um you just know that something like that exists like these are things that are so important for young adults to be equipped with like this knowledge and you don't even learn it in business school so I think it's important for people who don't choose that route especially dancers to know that don't be discouraged and feel like oh I don't have that formal education backgrounds therefore like business is not for me and I can't learn it's quite the opposite like you your resources resources are there and again like college gave me valuable experiences that have nothing to do with business yeah um but everything else you learn by doing and by seeking out that knowledge. I, I work also, so I've been working as years as, as a personal trainer. Oh, and one of, thank you, and one of the most successful, financially successful people I ever trained did not go to college. Mm-hmm. And I'm training him in his mansion. Oh. In the, in the indoor gym with Lovely. a full basketball court. Or, no, sorry, it's probably half court. I forget. There was also a rope, like, that you could climb to the ceiling in his mansion. Did not go to college. Mm-hmm diligent and just everyone has their own path I I had a teacher I went to a performing arts school for theater one of the teachers really stuck with me said to us if you are academically when when talking about whether to go straight into acting conservatory or college Mm. he said if you are academically curious at all go to college yeah if you have a little bit of an inkling it's gonna just enrich your life so much Mr. Schiffman Harry Mm -hmm. Schiffman so (laughs) I agree with that do you think one more one more, I think, business-related question in education. I've been looking lately at maybe taking a like a UCLA extension course, or a lot of colleges do have courses that you can just sign up for, pay way less than it would cost for an extra degree. Mm-hmm. Are there any courses that you might think would be beneficial for any for an entrepreneur that did not go to business school? <laughs> it's a tough one because you went to business school, and, but I'm I'm wondering like, are there any classes that still might be really great? building a business um so I was joke I was like facetiously thinking like my course <laughs> but, that's not but, facetious. but but I'm like I can't jo- wait for the joking info. aside on my course um I would say I think it is helpful to learn about digital marketing so I would say like a digital marketing formal digital marketing course would probably be probably be helpful for artists only because because our relationship with social media is already so um I don't want what's that's not skewed, but it's already so complicated, mm-hmm. right? As artists, a lot of dancers and artists understand social media is a tool to get my stuff out there, but it makes me feel a type of way. Therefore, I don't know how to navigate it. So I think learning it formally outside of a outside of it being so deeply connected to your vulnerable work would be helpful because then people can really see what it is and it's not this like ugly monster that it needs to be and how can you not make it so personal and how can you understand it so that then you can make a a smart and informed decision of okay these are the things I can leverage that will help what I'm trying to push out and these are the parts of it that don't resonate with me that I don't need to pay attention to so I I love that digital marketing slash your course yeah which is not (laughs) it's a it's a funny thing about self-promoting I saw there's someone I I like to follow, I think it's Talking Shrimp MIC. She's mm-hmm. a copywriter and I love I love what she writes. So mm-hmm. she, for anyone who doesn't know, copy is basically what you're going to have underneath an ad or your social media post that's actually copy you're writing as the blurb. Mm-hmm. And she had a whole post about 
stop it. You're not getting mad at Macy's for promoting. Right. Or why are we doing that? To her? Obviously, it's uncomfortable, but right, I right, had right. the same thing. And when someone, I had someone look over my social media and she said, oh, yeah, some of these, you know, these posts are great. But where are people going to go to get more? Mm. You're not saying it. Mm-hmm, so I acknowledge mm-hmm. it can feel cringy and uncomfortable. But also, I'm learning uncomfortably that I'm not... If I have a bunch of things to share, like this is... Because I have courses I sign up right, for. Right, I want right. to know about your yeah. course, or Okay. Yeah. I think I can say who it's for. Sure. So I have a very different... I, I feel like I have a very unique path in dance where I had to, in a sense, like pave of path that is very unique to my strengths and my abilities because when I entered professional dancing or when I decided to make this my career when I was 21 22 years old like after finishing school um I learned pretty quickly that there weren't a lot of opportunities and spaces for people who look like me and who Mm. dance like me I learned that very quickly and so I had two choices I can assimilate and I can take the jobs that fit my description, which literally just Disney type movement and opportunities. Or I can try to build my sexiness. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> because, pressure. Because my, I would still get sent on jobs where they were like, wear body conscious clothing and heels. And I told them like, I don't really want to do that. I have nothing against it. That's just not who, like how I move. And I can't even walk in heels. So don't ask me to do that. And so, yeah, I learned, like, after some time, very quickly, that, like, and working some jobs in the industry and, like, going on auditions and just not feeling aligned with the the landscape of anything, I was like, okay, well, I either work really hard to assimilate and try to succeed this way, or I have to figure this out. So I decided to figure it out myself, which led to me really, really focusing on developing my own artistry, which initially stemmed from just pure dance training at first it wasn't even like creating or producing choreography it was just getting into class getting into class training learning as much as I can finding really good teachers mentors like expanding my mood just everything just developing and growing and then from there using all of those tools to fine-tune what like what I can create yeah just continuing to honor my voice and my movement and creating opportunities through that which is where teaching comes in so yeah, now I'm getting too deep into my life story, no, but yeah, teaching. I'm there with you. <laughs> teaching, and then eventually um, through sharing more of my work and teaching a lot, like that's when choreography jobs started coming to me where like people started, I started getting opportunities like knocking for the first time of like, hey, because I've been sharing so much of my work, they have an idea of what I do and it aligns with what they're trying to do. So started getting choreography work and things like that that way. And then from there, like budding into more entrepreneurial things like my merch and like my courses and my programming. So anyway, this my course is designed for people who who are interested in pursuing dance in a professional, sustainable way, using their gifts Mm -hmm. and using their strengths and leveraging those things and not necessarily having to follow the the two or three pads that people see are available in dance, because sometimes those pads, one, don't align with you or two, um, aren't always the most welcoming for people, for all peop- types of people. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, that's like the complicated version. And then the more simpler version is people who just want to learn about the professional aspects of this job, this career field. Yeah. A small examples are like, there are so many incredibly gifted dancers who don't know how to respond to emails. Yes. 
And some of those emails are opportunities knocking yes. at their door. Or there are a lot of incredibly gifted artists who don't know how to manage their money. They spend their entire paycheck buying jewelry and shoes, which not knocking, but at the same time, like who like it's because like they haven't been taught to how to save, how to invest, like how to budget, you know, what portion of that income you can kind of freely spend on those joys and like responsibly like how to save for your future as well. So those are the things that like I just developed, you know, I had to develop because I didn't have a lot of money and I had to pay off my loans and pay my bills. Like, you know, so I learned those things and I had to create opportunities for myself. That's like the biggest thing. And all the professionalism that I learned through that and the professional aspects that just aren't always emphasized in dance programming, because it's all a lot of times about movement development. I just want to share with people who don't have access to that knowledge yet, you know, so that's who it's for. Yay! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious if we were going through that, a shift in terms of dance and paving the path around the same time, because mm-hmm. I just felt very confused and very conflicted because I didn't feel aligned, but I didn't... Usually I would just work harder for anything. Just work harder, right. don't give up, don't be a quitter. I didn't want to be a quitter, but I felt like I was going uphill in rollerblades and the rollerblades were my sense of self, were my values. Mm-hmm. I didn't, yeah, yeah I didn't feel right in a lot of the auditions in terms of, I felt like I was cheapening myself mm-hmm. and I couldn't step away from it. it. It's just everyone's different, Yeah, you know. When teaching, how do you prepare for a class to teach? Okay, so I used to prepare so much. I'm going to be completely honest. Like, I used to prepare so, so much. What does that Um, mean? Like, break it down. Yes, I, in terms of just knowing everything about the combo, like the details, where movement initiates from, like the the dynamics I want here, the intention, how, like, where does, what feeling do you want to evoke here? Like, where are you pulling from here? Definitely, like, Knowing the music is really important to me because I hate going into classes where the teacher doesn't know the rhythm because mm. then I can't, I feel like I can't learn it. <laughs> and then sometimes if I felt nervous, which I did for a long time teaching, I would grab a friend and just kind of quickly teach, teach it to them beforehand so that I could kind of flush through all of the transitions and the things that might have tripped me up in the past. Now I don't prep at all. I just walk in and I'm very observant and I give the students what they need do you you mean like you're able to just come up with the choreo on the spot no 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 I have the combo um for them already now like just being more experienced knowing my body more like I don't I can make something and I don't have to like review it so much to know the musicality or the details like I can just go in that makes sense I know it but even the intention like before I might have said okay like this piece is to this type of music and this type of movement quality and comes from this type of feeling and story so this is the lesson I want to give these are like the talking points I want to really emphasize to, to get that message across and now I feel so in like connected and in tune with what I'm doing when I'm facilitating a class that it's so instead of being premeditated it's very like I have the piece the combo is my canvas but I rely on looking at what the students need to dictate what that class will be about because every class is different the students the combination of people you're going to get in the room is different so not all students depending on the energy that you're feeling from them and the read that you have on that room is going to need a life speech right if they're already working hard and killing it I don't need to have a life speech plan for them about work ethic and fighting for your dreams, right? So it's like, 
that's the part of the teaching journey and the maturation that I feel really like proud of, of just going from blanking out and being so nervous and mm. emphasizing the combo, the choreography so much mm -hmm. and stressing about like, am I gonna do it well at the end of class? Am I gonna be good enough? You know, like all those things that were really stifling like in my 20s that now I just feel so confident in because of how much I've taught. That's so yeah, the, the answer is... 10,000 hours. That's yeah, what happens it is. the 10,000 hours. It is the 10,000 hours yeah. and I feel so comfortable and confident now teaching. And then with choreography, so let's say you're choreographing for an artist mm -hmm. or a team piece, do you choreograph for competitions? Um, I used to when I was on GRV and now I, cho I choreograph for like, like the jobs I get randomly are like studio competitions mm -hmm. or... Yeah, like random dance companies and things like that. Um, yeah. So when choreographing for competitions or for an artist, what's your process like? The biggest thing is you have to choreograph with the subject in mind. It really like depends on the group. Like yeah. I have my skill set and I have my the way that I move. There, there's like specific movement qualities that are consistent within my training um, and my artistry. So depending on the group that I'm choreographing for, my job as choreographer is of course to bring what I do to them, but also to make them look good in their element and to fit in the sphere of like where their performance is. So I think that's the biggest part of choreographing is like you think that it's so interesting because like as an independent artist, like I worked on like making the most just like the highest level of like what I could create for myself and then when you start choreographing for artists they can't do all that so then it's nope. like your job becomes how do you make a two-step basic movement that makes them shine that makes them look good like you're not trying to give them intricate hard-hitting choreography or like whatever it is that I do so it's about making them look good if it's for other people that's just key yeah and then how do you keep your instrument your body your movement quality right now how mm -hmm. do you keep it sharp what's your journey like now in your as a dancer as you a know? dancer yeah Ooh. okay this is probably not the answer that people expect or want to hear I mean I Let's be off yeah. authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent a long time, too long, being very insecure as a dancer. Mm -hmm. So earlier when you hyped me up as a, and you called me a good dancer, I was like, what? Thank you, because <laughs> that's the part I'm most insecure about. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very confident as a teacher, as a choreographer, but when it comes to actual movement, I think that's when the most comparison comes in, just because we see people dancing all around us all the time and just killing it. But a shift happened where I I feel like I'm kind of on a training pause right now because I've been so such a hungry student for my whole life. And I finally paused, not in terms of like, I don't want to keep growing because I think you can grow infinitely in dance and movement, but I can appreciate what I've trained. That's beautiful. How I've trained and what I can do today. And so I'm in definitely like a, instead of a filling cup era, I feel like I'm in a pouring era where I am embracing what I've trained, how hard I've worked, all the knowledge and the amazing like mentors and teachers who have, you know, poured into me. Trash people are going there's off a, right now. Trash. It, it's it's a, all good. It's not. It's it not doesn't normally yeah. super mess with these mics, <laughs> no, but fine. if you hear it, y'all, it's because yeah. this is. You know what? In fact, I, I do their jobs. I hired <laughs> the trash truck. The trash truck. Just so you know, it's just such a real podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you imagine? Evie's um, <laughs> actually driving. Like Chloe's <laughs> down on the ground. You're no, keeping it real, real and raw. Yeah, it's awful. It's, it's horrendous. It's fine. It's fine. And I think this is so big for me personally because I spent my 20s 
feeling not good enough all the time, constantly just imposter syndrome, feeling like I was never good enough at dancing specifically. So now I feel very kind of at peace with like, I know there's things I can get better at and I can continue to train, but uh, I'm not so obsessed with like having to always be better anymore because I'm taking time to finally embrace what I've worked for for over 15, 16 years. You know, it's like I've trained my butt off and I am not, you know, the absolute number one best in the world, but there's so much I can still give with what I do know and what I can do. And I think embracing that has been so empowering for me because I spent the last decade beating myself up all the time. That's so real. Yeah. Um, but I will say on also on an honest note, so instead of, because I have a weird relationship with taking class, that's like a whole other topic. Um, so the way I fill my cup is I will, in terms of training, like I, I take privates a lot. Like I reach out to people I think are amazing and I have a little studio space in my garage and I get privates from people that that's great. are dope because it feels like a safe space where I can train. And then um, physically, like I started tr- like training too, which has been huge, especially as we get older, like maintaining like strength training, strength training. Talk, yeah. talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. Maintaining that has been a game changer. And then my husband's a chiropractor. So oh. very lucky. So there's things I'm doing to maintain my physical body because it is very important to continue to do that. It is your one instrument for this career. So I'm doing that, but I'm not necessarily like in the training mindset of like, I need to get better because I'm not enough. Taking a quick pause, because what Sora's talking about is something that a lot of our guests has talked has have, well, there we go, have talked about, which is cross training for dance, strength training for dance. And so I would be remiss not to include that I have two online on-demand programs right now. This means it is a collection of workouts that you can access from anywhere with little to no equipment. I have fitness fundamentals. This is for my beginners, my folks coming back from a long break or my folks coming back from injury fitness fundamentals okay so that's for you if you fall under these categories or if you're like nah man i'm good i need more advanced workouts like intermediate and above than fit from home you can access these from the show notes or go to my website gogalit.com that's g-o-g-a-l-i-t.com click on online fitness courses you will pay one time only one time and then you will have continued access to your workouts and if you'd like some accountability a little accountability group to make sure you're showing up for your workouts just go to patreon.com slash train with galit okay now back to the episode i'm so interested and i've been interested for years about the longer trajectory with dance Mm -hmm. because it does look different at different points yeah and training your butt off when you're starting keeping Mm -hmm. up maintaining it enough however it looks different for each person sometimes we got to live life a little bit more or you've taken so much class yeah or I love what you said about taking privates because I almost forget that's an option yeah and it's a great way to support teachers it is and you get a lot out of it and I have a friend um I don't she's a phenom dancer amazing teacher to this day she she's hiring people she looks up to for privates. Yep, yep. It's part of the part of the journey. Mm-hmm. So you just got married. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Hard pivot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we go. Okay, so I was thinking about I have this I don't know if you relate to this. I have this total compartmentalization between dancer me. Mm-hmm. When I say dancer, I like I'm not pursuing it professionally. I'm teaching choreographing, but but I'm forever a dancer. Right, so dancer right. me dancer me goes in front of the mirror, puts on my AirPods, 
like I'm in boxers and I'm I'm popping or dancing to be no right now it's been like Megan the Stallion let's go it's <laughs> reggae gold whatever and I just always once in a while I think to myself if I were with someone living with them getting married would I do this mm. and I wonder do you have any yes. dance behaviors that you like you don't do in front of your husband or are oh. you so comfortable you know what I mean like what does that look like in marriage that's funny he's actually a dancer okay. and we've grown up together we, like so he was a b-boy in like middle school like he started breakdancing super young and then I got him into choreography because I had a crush on him in high school and so I like pulled him into like my little dance team so there's nothing that like oh if if anything I would feel more comfortable doing things in front of him versus the public. (laughs) You feel me? Yeah. So, yeah, because of, like, our history and, like, us growing up together, us dancing together, him also being a dancer, like, there's no, like, quote My question just doesn't (laughs) work anymore. (laughs) But I will say, like, there's something that you said that did really, really, like, strike something in me. We were in a long-distance relationship for a really long time, for, like, Mm -hmm. 11 years. We've been together for 14. This is this year's our 15th year together. Um, But 11 of those were long distance because we're from the Bay, but I moved down to LA for college and then I stayed for dance. Mm -hmm. So when we were apart, I danced every day, like every night choreographing, like can't go out to eat dinner, got to choreograph because I was like teaching constantly. I was also less efficient back then, but that's another story. But yeah, just always- I love the other stories. I went to all the other. um, Yeah, I was, I spent every day dancing, choreographing or training or like working on myself. And part of that was just, had to do with like wanting to be excellent at what what I do. Part of that had to do with being busy and have stuff to prepare for. And the part of that had to do with me not feeling good enough. So I have to keep working on myself. Mm. As soon as he moved down in 2020 with me, I started dancing 80 to 90% less because I found joy. No one talks about this. I found joy <laughs> and fulfillment elsewhere. Mm. Not to say dance became less important. I'm still working, producing as much as I did back then. I just don't spend as much time with dance anymore. What were some things where you found your keys to productivity there? Um, Or what were time? I just became more efficient in my process. Mm -hmm. So before I would, I think mindset wise, I always said I need like two to three failed choreography sessions. I need to show up a couple times, feel really stuck. And I often did feel really stuck. And then like on the third one, like I'll finally flow and start my piece. So I used to give myself maybe like one to two weeks to choreograph something. For which class? Is, for, for, yeah, for like teaching, for work, for anything. Now with my career changing and like different opportunities coming in and also me not being so tough on myself, it's like I can choreograph three full performances in a week of like fully five minute performances with staging. So, but whereas before it used to be one 45 second combo for two weeks. So different like process changes because of mindset, because of the like not putting so much pressure on it because of understanding the task at hand is not to prove anything to myself, but to to do a good job for whatever is coming in. And also sometimes just not having time because you're given tight deadlines and also wanting to spend more time with my husband and with people that I care about. And just the the value shifts that happen as you grow older, where you're like, do I want to train and burn this midnight oil until 2 a.m.? And you know, practice my popping or do I want to watch The Bachelor and drink some red wine? And as soon as he moved in, the red wine won a lot. <laughs> it beat dance a lot. So, I, and and for me, like, I was okay with that because it's just like, you just have to follow what 
gives you sometimes like responsibilities of life aside, right? Because I still obviously have to work and work really hard and make a living. Um, But when it comes to like that extra time, aside from that, the essential works time, it's like, how do I want to spend my time? And you have to ask yourself in every phase of your life as things change, like, what does that look like for you? And for me, it meant less training and more time with the people I care about. I think that what I'm noticing is what you just said, that I'm always looking for the blueprint. I won't stop looking for it. I love me some blueprints. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's constantly shifting based on the world, based on my needs, based on so many things, on health, on love life. Um, With the last relationship I was in, I just wanted to spend time with him. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that I indulged as much as I wanted to because that's... That's important too. Yeah. Also, in a day-to-day sense, if you if it's up to you to structure your day, so let's say there's no teaching that day, you're looking at you know building something new, you have a project on the horizon maybe in two to three months, mm-hmm. do you have any things that you find are very effective or how you like to run your day? I rely definitely I I love writing Mm -hmm. so I'm definitely I'm a notebook person like I love writing and brainstorming and things like that but I am so much more couch potato-y than people realize this is when's your birthday I'm just curious I'm a Pisces oh wow okay we're not that I was like I was expecting us to have the same birthday yeah you're just it resonates everything you're saying resonates Uh, including the couch potato yeah I'm a hard worker don't get me wrong obviously I like I don't know the right word I just kick it a lot more than people realize that I do and I could be more efficient and I could be more productive but sometimes I just like my body just tells me that she wants to chill and rest so when I have an empty day um I'm not a day to like I'm not a so much of a daily to do person Mm -hmm. I'm a project-based person so I set deadlines for all the things I need to get done. I make sure that I'm very on top of filling my schedule and then that's it. And like it'll I'll make those things happen in whatever period of time I have and whatever and I kind of have gotten an idea of like how much time and how much work and what time I need to start preparing for those things. For all the other time, I don't think yeah, what people don't realize is like I could be aimlessly scrolling on my phone for hours. My screen time report <laughs> <laughs> nobody needs to see that nobody needs to know i think that needs to be the next post I love it. it's, it's real it's so real yeah but i still get shit done so i think it's like sometimes people are in those positions of being human and just like resting and wanting to lay back and they're not having the most productive day and they didn't do a million things that day and they feel like crap because they see everyone doing a million things and it's yeah. kind of like you have like it's duality (laughs) you don't have to be this machine like it's totally normal to to be a um I don't even want to say sloppy but just like to just be yeah to just go about to just be to just exist and not always be productive 24 7 but still get shit done like it's totally possible rather than thinking oh because I am I find myself on the couch aimlessly scrolling like I'm not either I can't get things done like I have no motivation like I can't be successful. I I don't think that's the case. I think. Yeah. yeah. My current forming recipe for myself and something to know is I can be such a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. So for left to my own devices without a lot of structure, that project will never happen. Mm. So I find I need one to two days off with 
little to no plans, not yeah. even social plans. So I can recharge. If recharging, I'm more of an introvert than I ever knew. Oh yes, looks Same. like yep. pot- couch potato of the couch time. Yes, and potatoes. And then mornings, I'm the most productive. Mm. So I'm figuring out what to do with that because I also have. Cl- I'm happy to have clients in the morning, but. Mornings, I'm the most productive, so I'm starting to look at four-hour blocks in the morning. I see. And instead of going task by task, like, I'm going to get these three things done today. Now, I'm like, my list is so long. I'm going to just four hours understanding I'm taking a coffee break in there. What I get done, I get done. And then ending it. Yeah. Because if I let it bleed into the night, I don't sleep well. Right, right. At night, I usually, it's my time or social time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from 6 or 7 p.m. on. For the two hours, I'm awake. Yeah. So I'm finding finding what works. The for tricky you. thing for me is that I want to train more with dance and I for instance today like there's a class I want to take at 2 p.m. but that means I probably won't get anything done for my business. And night classes I'm asleep like that messes with my sleep schedule. So this is I hope mm. it's not a headache. No, I'm no, figuring not at all. out where to put dance classes, not quite there yet because if I'm not getting work done for my business Right now, it doesn't work. So. Mm, I see, I see. I think, um, yeah, you're going to figure it out. <laughs> I'm in the learning process. curve, yeah, But I'm sure. leaving time for fluidity, and maybe it'll look like two or three days where I have four-hour blocks for business, you know, just yeah. figuring it out. And also embracing what doesn't work to direct me towards... I usually have to try again a bunch of times. Yeah. So if I want to take 2 or 3 p.m. classes, maybe I need to wake up one to two hours earlier. Right, and... Uh, if this helps like seasonally yes thinking of things in seasons has helped me when I feel like I don't have enough time for certain parts of myself that I want to pay attention to or put time into so it could be like this month I'm going to take a step back from dance and really build Mm. and then next month and like you know then maybe this in summer I'm going to chill out give my business some space and really really train because I think we're multi-dimensional there's so many people and lifetimes and things and interests within us that you're not always going to have time to have a perfect balance of investing 100% of your energy into every single day and that's okay yeah so I do that a lot where like different parts of me like the entrepreneur and the teacher and the wife like you know partner and even like when I spend time with family like I'm all in you know so it's just like I give myself chunks of time not even a full season but like this week or this month I'm just going to be this because like I like to feel very present in that um and that has helped me when I just get overwhelmed and I feel like I'm ignoring parts of me it's like I I'm not ignoring you forever but just right now like it's not your turn you know I, I think really like okay. that I really like that this is I'm learning Fall and early year is my entrepreneurial season. Mm, nice. And it's a nice time to train. I'll figure out a way for them both to work. Absolutely. I want to see if there's anything. Oh, I have a question that I don't know how to ask exactly. Do you feel the dance world? That, and if, like, okay, if I, if I Ooh, get, Do you wait, feel the dance world that's already is, like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, I, might, I might do this incorrectly. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you feel the dance world is segregated? Or have you experienced the dance world being a level of segregated? Segregated. Segregated in the sense of, okay, growing up and in my experience of LA, I felt like the the Asian community ah. was not, so maybe I'm dancing around it, no puns are yeah, all puns yeah. intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't 
like the front line in terms of general teacher representation in classes or videos but then there was a huge community Mm -hmm. that like it always did feel separate to me yeah so those um this is a yeah great question um so the specifically like socal asian dance community because i think that it kind of influence its influence grew and it spread um to different parts of the u.s and the world but a lot of them came from on-campus Asian student clubs and organizations like the Chinese American Student Association, Mm -hmm. the Filipino American Student Association, that's like where Cobb Modern came from, you know, Korean students. Yeah, basically like all these orgs which are on college campuses because, and they all exist, right? Different like minority ethnic groups form their clubs on campus so that they can feel a place of belonging, especially when most college campuses are... 80 to 90 percent white Mm. right so it's like they create these orgs and groups as you know at usc and then through that like dance clubs and teams and communities were built and so i think that's where like the strong like very because sometimes like it feels like the asian community is homogenous in a sense where it's like just asian people you're like Mm. where's and nowadays it's like a little bit better integrated but i felt because i came from that community when i joined grv when i went to noho to start taking class and like join and entering the industry like north hollywood where because we have yeah north hollywood yes yes where there's ten that's um a major hub in the professional and commercial dance industry in los angeles yes yes thank you um (laughs) i felt like kind of an outsider in the sense Mm. of like i come from this world that like no one knows about or like i felt different i felt like yeah just like i came from a different place like a different world than like the north hollywood industry dance community and i had to now not necessarily establish myself but just kind of like enter a new world of dance um so in that sense like I would say, like, segregated is such a strong word, um, and it has, like, so many different implications. Cause Maybe it, separated. Yeah, it sounds, like, kind word. of intentionally excluding. Right. Um, but I think, like, there are definitely pockets within dance where different ethnic groups are gathering, and it feels... And because of that, it can feel kind of, like, separated, like you said. But I don't think that... And I would hope that people don't feel excluded, mm-hmm. you know, because I like, for example, on college campuses, like anyone can join. C3 is C3 is from the Chinese American Student Association. Mm-hmm. I'm not Chinese, but anyone can join C3. So even though it stems from that organization, like any person can join that group. So, yeah, there's definitely different subgroups within the greater dance world. I've been asking myself for a long time because I noticed it and I noticed it more through doing interviews and hearing so much about the college scene Mm -hmm. and what's considered the community Community, scene and just wondering like where can there be more crossover or yeah I mean I think it's it's a tough that's a big question uh, that I definitely don't have like the singular answer and I don't want to put the onus on you no no not at all but um I think too it's because it's a lot of like college even the age and like it's like a lot of college students who are who just started dancing or who like found this for a release versus like professional dancers in the industry. I have found I remember when I start like first it was when I started kind of joining movement lifestyle or teaching there and like entering that community like I felt like there weren't a lot of people from the community crossing over to the industry but nowadays it feels like a lot of people from the Asian collegiate dance community are pursuing dance more than they ever were when I first mm. started so I, I definitely see some crossovers 
happening and integration happening. But yeah, that's a that's a big and because I question. Yeah, and I have also question. You know, for myself, where my it's very organic usually the guests that come on the podcast and then I ask myself oh are we getting too much you know only in one bubble Mm -hmm. and then sometimes I felt like because you know people might not know who I am or what this podcast is in another community I also like you know might be getting guests that unintentionally are like just not responding Mm. or you know but I'm thinking one way I feel is having more voices on the podcast but sometimes it's actually hard to to connect if nobody knows you. I don't know yeah. if I'm, I feel no, like I'm no. walking. No, I, I feel you. I yeah. feel you. I mean, because I, I resonate with that yeah. like in my own experience of just like when I was in the community, like competing on GRV, like people within that specific community, if they knew of GRV, like they kind of knew me yeah. and I was teaching a lot. And most of my f- like following base is our Asian people. So when I came to the industry, it's like I would, it was very humbling because it's like I'm taking all these classes, like not really being seen, like no one knows who I am. No one, I'm just like this short Asian girl, like who is this? How like, tall are you? I'm five feet tall. Oh, yay. I'm five two. Yes. Yay. Um, also dancing like very not in the style of what people, and this again, like a lot has changed in the past decade, but um, I've gotten, I don't expect you to dance like that for yeah, me. I'm just yeah. I'm going to say, I've gotten a lot of, I, don't ex- I didn't expect you to dance like that. Right. That and also just how women specifically were expected to dance in the industry 10 years ago. Yeah. Now it's a lot more open and welcoming and diverse, but I came from a team that was, that exhibited a lot of like masculine qualities of movement you know, traditionally, just like hard hitting, powerful, like aggressive, sharp, intricate, isolation, you know, like all those things that like, and that's like, I'm a very hard hitting, like powerful dancer. And so when I came into classes in NoHo, like I felt just like I I didn't feel a place of belonging because I would hear from teachers, like if you're a girl in here, like dance like a woman, you need to dance like a woman. Y'all need to stop dancing like boys, (gasps) like try dancing like boys. That speech has died, hasn't it? I would get it all the time. Yeah, they can't anymore. I've gotten it a million. Yeah, but I I got it so many times and I went from being in a place where I felt so celebrated for being strong and then Mm. into a new industry that felt like I'm not, I have to fit their definition of how a female should dance. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I kind of strayed from your question at this point. I love but, that. Um, I love that you strayed. Yeah. I'm, I'm a strayer. It's an yeah. exploration, yeah. and I, I, it's an exploration. Yeah. Just, it's something that I, I've thought about a lot, um, and there's no one answer. And, and I think, too, like, I'm going from community to industry mm-hmm. point of view. I think, to what you were talking about there's also the other way around too people who are incredibly accomplished in the industry who are trying to become connected to like this huge market and community of the asian dance community and like studios like offstage and who are very i would say like open in terms of who they ha- bring in to teach there but i think it's like both sided like it's just two different sub parts of the community that will only benefit from connecting with each other versus feeling so separated and othered i want to be more cross yeah <laughs> to be honest because i've been in both for so long yeah. it has gotten so much better good because it was so separated when I first 
left and joined. I even remember movement lifestyle being intentional and making, a, I think, a pivot with who was teaching. Yes, to, they were I, huge. They played a huge part in that. Just amazingly, I believe it was more community teachers, which it's not wrong. It's neither here nor there. It's one. And they were like, we're here and there are all these other teachers and let's let's open it up more. Yeah, without them, Millennium, Debbie Reynolds, like they would have never given me a chance to mm. teach, ever. And I still, and it's still interesting because so much of my work comes from the community and also the things that I've generated myself as this very independent Asian female artist that the industry doesn't understand or care for. Like even as a choreographer, I've worked with so many K-pop artists. I've worked in Asia a lot with artists and entertainment there, but I, it is so hard for me to feel that connection in Western, like American media, because I'm just not seen as, you know, there's a multitude of things in play, but I feel like there's still barriers to break here in terms of belonging and who can hold these positions and all those things. Thank you for speaking so openly about that. Um, Rapid fire, rapid, rapid fire, so we get you out right on time. Okay, sounds good. What's a favorite watch when you're couch potatoing? Ugh, uh, Love Island. <laughs> Love Island. But specifically UK because of the accents. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you feel... Oh, this is, this is harsh of me because what do you feel has been one of the most foundational and important pieces of your training? Like a moment in time, a teacher, a class, a... Two big things. First was when I left URV and started taking more class in North Hollywood. The two teachers I took the most from were Amanda Grind and Pat Cruz, who taught me about music, who taught me a lot about music. Um, because GRV, there was no dynamics when I danced. It was just 200% energy the whole time. So they trained me in a lot of music and patience, which was huge in my, then like developing my own artistry. And then more recently I started during the pandemic, like I really, really wanted to just go back to all my foundational training. Mm -hmm. So I started taking a lot of Buddhist stretches classes over (gasps) Zoom. Yay! I used to take from, str- oh, stretch, I need to get yeah. back into that. Shout I out know. to Stretch. He teaches he on He just Zoom. teaches so early for us. I know, us, the 6 a.m. Like, and the 9 a.m. Yeah, I was taking during the pandemic, so and I used to take from him when I was like a 14-year-old. Yeah. Oh, I so love So I think that. just like feeling the, like, holy crap, Thank you, you founded this, and I get to still learn from you was so pivotal, and it honestly helped my movement so much just to bounce, just to spend an hour, like, doing all the, yeah, doing all of that was huge and important, I think. I need to get back to that. What's, um, what's a trend that you followed? It could be a dance trend, or, like, movement trend, or a fashion trend, or hair trend that Mm -hmm. you followed at some point that you're like, ooh, I hope, uh, oh, so many drop crotch pants. Drop crotch pants! Um, really, really dropped like and I already have short legs so that did not serve me um oh, and the, the hammer pants yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. we all yeah. I still have them yeah, yeah yeah but um and then the second thing was I mean I'm not knocking these at all especially if people are like I love my drop crop trends but the second thing that just oh. didn't work for me was a bob like the asymmetrical bob <laughs> um short in the back Short on this side, long on one the other side. That's a whole, like, 2006, 2003 to 2006, I think. Our fashion, like, we we went through it in the 2000s. Like, it's going really, to keep going. We really went through it, yeah. Um, oh, ooh, I'm excited for this one with you. It's 10 years from now. We're meeting up. What is 10 years from now like? I really hope to have some babies. 
<laughs> I don't know if you're expecting that. I, I don't um, even. I yeah. love that. Um, yeah. Ten years from now, and then honestly, I don't know. Perfect, and it doesn't Just have to be realistic. Yeah. I open it up as like oh. a, it could be like like Oprah is on speed dial in mine. Oh, I yeah. see. No, I think I have. I feel like I would have kids, and I would still be doing what I love to do. Yeah, whatever version of that looks like, and hopefully happy and doing what I love, and still being I don't know being a good person and yeah. all those things. Which takes me to the last question. What is something that you want to be remembered for? This is a hard rapid fire I question. Know. Okay, no, no, that. it's good. It's good. It's and good. You can take a I don't pause, I don't reject it. But um, we have like three minutes for you to be able to shuffle and leave in time. For sure. Oh no, it's it's okay. It's not that <laughs> um it's not that urgent. But what I want to be remembered by I think that a lot of us want to just like make a positive impact in some way. But I've actually been learning to not put so much pressure on that lately Mm. where you feel like you need to do things to be remembered or like, you know, um, where it's just like you can just live kindly and do what you live with integrity and do things out of love and what you feel resonates with you and connected to and do things for others because you want to without Mm. putting the pressure of like, I want to be remembered for this or I need to leave this legacy because I think that just puts so much pressure for me personally whereas before like it was really important to me especially like being a part of um, a demographic of like Asian women who are often like even within our own communities like very silenced and like diminished and forgotten honestly like men get credit for everything in our community (laughs) and a lot of communities but I can speak on the Asian community specifically so I think before it was like oh my god if I don't constantly prove that I'm making an impact like I'll be forgotten I'll be erased just like everyone else you know Mm -hmm. but I think like part of growing up was realizing like your ripples carry on so much further than you even know and it's sometimes not up to you to dictate what that how big that is or how profound that is but all you can control is living in the way that you want to live and impacting the people in on a very micro like day-to-day personal level in an authentic way and in a full way and and kind of releasing that from there and then so I think like to answer your question maybe it's not it's just not up to me like I I hope to be remembered by how people remember me and that's going to be really cool thank you for that (laughs) that's super refreshing thanks how can people follow you connect with you Okay, so it's funny when you emailed me for my socials. My Instagram is Soryang, my full name. Um, if you want to contact me, you can find everything on my website, Soryang.com. But if you want, like, the silly shit, like, the real, like, DGAF, my TikTok is Soryang Official, where I just post the non-polished, just oh, silly, dope. mindless things, which I feel like is fun. I'm a TikTok fan because it feels so not personal. Oh my god, I still have it. Oh wait, Dan Speak just started on TikTok, so I as an yes. individual have been... I did it for a while. I resisted because I already spent too much time on my phone. Yeah. So I was like, why do I need another thing? And then I would keep going on my husband's TikTok <laughs> to watch funny videos. Uh-huh. Like I would be like, can I have your phone? Can I go on your thing? And then I finally just started it and I was like, I like it because Instagram feels like you're a very, a very polished portfolio. Mm. Whereas TikTok feels like very stupid. And, yeah. it, and it, because of that, it's fun because it's not that deep. 
and I enjoy that about it. Plug for TikTok. Plug for TikTok, because people be. It's, I mean, I'm I'm a hardcore yeah, millennial. Yeah, I'm like TikTok's the devil. Man. It's the de- but like social media in general is the devil, right? So um. it's like finding the pockets of the internet that kind of just is a big hellscape that like don't make you feel so horrible and for me i'm like stupid funny tiktoks that's a good point yeah thank you for taking the time to this <laughs> you're amazing i love that i'm ending on that well, like it's not like, not like, like but what about like the pressure uh, off for everything happening right right, right 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 no. yeah amazing for sure Thank you for listening to this episode. It was so powerful to edit this episode because I got to, I barely made any edits and I got to learn that much more from sitting in it the first time and listening to it the second time and really realizing um, how much life is about balance. So if you got something from this episode, which I hope and believe you did, please take a cream, a cream. (laughs) My speech, do you notice the theme? It is just not happening right now. Take a screenshot, tag us on Instagram at Dance Podcast. You can tag me at GoGalit. That's G-O-G-A-L-I-T. And if you are interested in training and working on your fitness, strength training in a way that's going to help not inhibit your dance movement and doing it oop, from anywhere, go to the show notes or you can go to my website, gogalit.com. That's G-O-G-A-L-I-T com. Click on online fitness courses because I have two now and choose your adventure fitness fundamentals fit from home or get both. Ooh, and I'm going to give you a little discount code dance speak. Type in galit 15 at checkout for 15% off. That's galit 15 at checkout for 15% off. And if you already paid for this because of the mid-roll and you're like, oh my gosh, I won't be able to sleep at night um, because that 15% off, you just hit me up and hopefully I can figure something out. I don't know if I can actually, but let's find out. I don't know. I don't want anyone to be mad. Also, if you are interested in supporting the arts and supporting the podcast and supporting people's voices getting out here, just how it happened in this episode with Sora Yang, we are taking donations. In fact, we need donations to keep the podcast going. You can give your donation donate your donation there we go through venmo or paypal to dancespeakpodcast at gmail.com again venmo or paypal you'll just make the donation to dancespeakpodcast at gmail.com no donation is too small and on that note we are going to be releasing the next episode in a month um, or we're on a monthly schedule so maybe you're listening to this episode and it's going to come out tomorrow. Like It just depends when you're listening to this. But right now we are having one, well, one new episode a month. And in the meantime, in the in-between time, we have over 184 episodes, relevant, powerful episodes in our library. Listen to them. Give them a listen. And then I will catch you later. Have an amazing morning, evening, night. And hopefully you are doing better with your words than I am. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to our Dance Speak podcast. For inquiries, suggestions, comments on your favorite guests, or who you'd like to see on the show, please email us at dancespeakpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-N-C-E-S-P-E-A-K-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And check back in next week for our latest interview. Thank you so much.